when you have a breakdown in terms of the fundamentals of civilization, and the fundamental of civilization, when you think about it, is effectively property rights. We have an absolute breakdown in terms of property rights. We have um, the quest for expropriation without compensation. We have a, uh, a tax system that is extorting a disproportionate uh, amount of revenue from most citizens that's not commensurate with the value that they're actually getting for it or the value that anyone is getting uh, is getting for it and at that point does it become in fact a moral obligation for us to be going out of our way to as far as possible avoid funding corruption because i, I think if if you look at us as a species and what actually defines our fundamental sense of morality it's the the entire idea that you do not at any stage become party to corruption and right now you know my uh, very clear case on this is that every time i am paying vat on any transaction i'm effectively funding a corrupt government so the question is against this backdrop how do we end up building systems that are going to, as far as possible, eliminate the role of government in our lives. And I'm, um, I'm pretty clear that cryptocurrencies are going to be one of the ways in which we actually get there. Now, the big difficulty that we have right now in terms of the way in which our cryptocurrencies currently work is the time taken to validate a transaction doesn't allow for instant transactions. Now, what do I mean by this? I mean, you can't go and buy a loaf of bread with Bitcoin. The Lightning Network is uh, is a framework that's built on top of Bitcoin. And, and the entire idea is that they they set themselves up as, uh, as well, they, they pretty much play the, uh, play the role to some extent that banks currently do. So you have a relationship with a particular provider who, who trusts you so that at the point at which a transaction um, comes through from you, it's kind of like I swipe my credit card and either Visa or MasterCard or American Express or um, uh, or Diners or one of those then authorizes the transaction. They're effectively saying that I'm good for the amount of money that's going out there. It doesn't mean that they've got the money in hand, but it does effectively mean that the bill is going to be paid to the person that I'm actually acquiring the goods from. And really, we need to be at the point where we have similar structures in place. And, and again, that uh, I, I think the first places where that's going to start becoming a reality is going to be at the level of small communities. So uh, think of a stock fell as an example. Uh, a, a stock fell effectively is an environment where it becomes very possible to do that type of thing where as long as you've got a scenario where a person who is a member of a particular stock fell ends up initiating a particular transaction, people will be willing to accept that transaction based on the fact that the other members of the stock fell are good for it. And I, I know this sounds like it's a, you know, very pie in the sky, uh, hippie type stuff, you know, going back to mother nature, all of that kind of stuff. But uh, in in essence, it's the basis of stable communities that end up 
effectively vouching for other members of that community. And once you've gotten to that scenario, then you can have transactions that can then take place between communities. That's not too hippie, actually. Ironically, let me be the devil's advocate here. If someone defaults on a payment, which might happen, regardless of how the trust is established in this community or another, the great thing about crypto is the fact that you can build conditions into these payments. Let's use the Stockfell as an example. By using smart contracts, which is built into Ethereum, you can basically automatically execute control um, events and actions according to the terms of the agreement. For instance, let's say someone defaults or falls behind in their installments, you can build in remediation for that, reminding that person like, hey, you're a month behind, or effectively cutting them off if they haven't been paying their stock file for a few months concurrently. So that kind of fixes that problem. And the thing about smart contracts is it can actually help in many spheres of the public and private sector. Think about it. The objectives of smart contracts is effectively reduction in the need of trusted intermediaries, arbitrations and enforcement costs, fraud losses, and the reduction of malicious and accidental exceptions. Which brings me to my next point. This technology is only as useful as the amount, the adoption rate within the market. So the more people that adopt this technology and actually use it, the more people stand to benefit and the better we can make ourselves state-proof. So, yeah, hopefully soon we'll see this in the mainstream market. Canthan, what are your thoughts on this? Yes, but you know the point at which it's actually going to become a reality is when you have a scenario where if you call for an Uber, as an example, that you are going to be able to pay for that Uber in cryptocurrency. Or if you, if you order food um, uh, from Mr. D, you're going to be in a position to pay for that in cryptocurrency. And that's the point at which suddenly you'll find that society will start working again. I agree with that. The only problem is there's big businesses in that equation and none of us need reminding of what they did during this COVID pandemic, which is absolutely nothing. They let their consumers down, firstly, and secondly, they went and they negotiated with commies (laughs) instead of suing the shit out of them for business lost and harm to their customers. You have to understand right now that that big business in um, our country has been completely captured by government for the longest possible time. And at every time there has been any business leader who has stuck his or her head out and, uh, and said, we need to put a stop to this, immediately there's been a ganging up of, of state resources against that particular business. So it really is almost impossible for any of the major players to be relied upon to actually initiate any form of change. And that's why, to a large extent, I'm a firm believer in the idea of supporting those small businesses as far as one possibly can. So the the idea, for example, that you know, instead of buying your, um, uh, your vegetables from Woolworths, as, as a very specific example, 
I don't know how many people in the greater Johannesburg area have ever been to the Joburg market. And I strongly su- and I strongly suspect that the uh, uh, that most people have actually not been to the Joburg market. The Joburg market is actually one of the biggest um, fresh markets in the world. It, it's absolutely massive. You know, you have to uh, um, just get onto the M2, take uh, the Heidelberg Road turn off, and then it's on your right shortly after that. I, I go down there frequently to end up buying stuff now. Um, a 10 kg bag of onions, as an example, for 30 rand. What you are doing is effectively kneecapping the likes of um, of, of pick and pay, the likes of uh, of, uh, of Woolworths, the like of the likes of Shoprite checkers. Look, they are all offenders to my mind, as as far as I'm concerned, because the essence of the way in which they end up conducting their businesses is by actually undermining the ability of small operators to actually survive. We are addicted to this drug of going along to Woolies and picking up that, uh, uh, that nicely puffed pack of lettuce that's, um, uh, uh, you know, had a cold chain that's been carrying it from uh, various parts of the world. In this case, it's, it's, it's convenience that's actually, it, it's costing us in the long term in terms of, the, the ability of, uh, of small businesses um, uh, to actually end up uh, surviving. So, so that's the first point. The second point is that if you consider the logistics of actually setting up, let's say on your balcony, your ability to grow the basics in terms of vegetables that you use on an ongoing basis. Now, I, I don't know about, about you guys, but the kind of stuff that uh, um, I, I go through on uh, on a regular basis tends to be things like uh, like herbs as an example. So you know the, this evening um, I made uh, basil pesto for dinner, and I ended up buying um, three packs for the price of two from Pick and Pay for um, uh, so it was twenty two rand for sixty grams of basil. And if you just simply go to YouTube and they will tell you how to set up your your basil planting structure so that it effectively ends up constantly replenishing itself and you never need to end up buying it again. Now, extend the same thing in terms of most of the stuff that you end up growing at home. You know, you can get um, kits for growing um, vegetables at home that was actually designed for the weed market, but can be used to uh, uh, to grow tomatoes, for example, because um, you know you you grow tomatoes so that uh, you you're literally creating hanging gardens. I totally agree with that. And and the other thing, Canton, that I want to add to that is with aeroponics and hydroponics coming in quite hot, like you say, it, it comes mainly from the weed market, but these systems allow you to grow incredible amounts of food in relatively small spaces. So you can have a few feet of open space or your balcony or even indoors these days with some growing lights and you yes, can yes. actually grow substantial amounts of food and the nice thing is you're Absolutely. not because yes. you create your own environments you can actually like get a, have a uh, grow tent have the system inside of yes. the tent and grow your vegetables all year round uh, vegetables are no longer seasonal uh, and then you can go like you mentioned herbs and and grow them as well 
So there's so many options out there, but just getting the layman to get started with these systems is actually kind of ideal, and that's what I kind of want to achieve in a future episode. Well, in fact, well, in fact, there's uh, there, there's tech out there, and of course, it's tech that again was invented by the Israelis, because you know they tend to do that type uh, type of thing that um, actually does individual monitoring on a per plant basis, and then drip feeds nutrients to particular plants. And that's the reason why they've made the uh, the desert bloom. That you know you uh, you you get these magnificent Israeli tomatoes making their way uh, into our supermarket shelves. If I might add to this, Canthan, don't be shy to use those seeds of those tomatoes. They're delicious. No, no, I, 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 no, I know that. No, I know that as well. But but you see, you see, the point at which it becomes idiot simple for people is when you actually have an app that's monitoring the stuff for you and saying, hey, by the way, I'm about to run out of nutrients. Please go and top me up. And, and, we're, al- and we're almost at the stage where we're in a position to do that. So, you know, in terms of food security, that becomes kind of a starting point. Um, you know, the ability to be able to grow your own vegetables. But again, that becomes dependent on electricity. Now, again, the logistics in terms of electricity are very firmly tilting in favor of moving towards solar generation, thanks to the Chinese who've been flooding the markets around the world with cheap solar panels. So that really the only obstacle right now that we have to going off grid in terms of solar, because remember, this is South Africa. We've got you know more sunlight days per year than, um, uh, uh, than most countries have in a decade. So the the ability to generate our own electricity is, you know, kind of a no-brainer. But the difficulty that we have right now is actually storing that electricity so that we can use it at the time that we most need it, which is overnight. And and that that really comes down to a question of battery technology. And we're not yet at the stage where battery technology is sufficiently cheap that we can afford to go off grid completely, but we're almost there. Right now, you know, on the assumption that you are consuming um, uh, something like uh, uh, like three uh, uh, three kilowatts at any given stage, you can effectively put in place a um, a fully redundant solar system for something just under a hundred thousand rand. Yeah, I agree with you, Canton. And and the interesting thing is these systems come in at anything now these days from seventy-five to eighty-five thousand, depending on what what your requirements are. And by far the batteries are the most expensive components. So I take a holistic approach where I look at it, what's drawing the most power in my house, seeing if there's older appliances that take an ordinate amount of power and maybe with time replace them and then go yeah. to your lights get led lights and then go to your look at your 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 geyser which is the heaviest appliance get a gas or a solar geyser and then do the same with your oven go for gas and in europe and, and some countries the usa you, gas utilities are common across the countries which is something we don't have we only have reliable yes. escom well you know if you currently have egoli gas coming to you uh, to your property, which is uh, which is still true for uh, many parts of old Johannesburg, and in fact, uh, you know, uh, suburbs like uh, you know Emerentia, Greenside, Melville, those uh, those places, there actually is uh, our gas lines running, and and you can get yourself hooked up to Egoli gas. So the the problem is that um, 
uh, you have to pay a bit up front because you know you have to run the lines from the gas main up to uh, your property and you know most modern properties are not built with that um, uh, built in of course now in uh, in the uh, the USA in the UK it's kind of a given that you have gas coming to your property wherever you happen to live you know just simply because that's one of the utilities that people take for uh, for granted but uh, uh, you know even against that uh, that backdrop right now uh, you know i can go down to uh, to builders warehouse and uh, uh, and get a 9 kg gas cylinder for around about 220 bucks or there happens to be a guy who will deliver it to my doorstep for 170 bucks you know for a for 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 a 9 kg and and again it's you know it's because i'm i'm cutting out all of um uh, the stuff that I have to pay for in terms of mass marts infrastructure and uh, and so forth, and you know, consider you pick up a nine kg gas cylinder for uh, for one hundred seventy bucks. Uh, you know, I, I I run my stove off uh, a nine kg gas cylinder, and I end up changing it probably about every three months or something like that. You know, versus running that off ESCOM. I see. Um, Gas geysers now are going actually incredibly cheaply. Again, you have to factor in the cost of then having someone come and install it properly because you don't want to mess around with installing gas yourself necessarily. But um, again, it becomes one of those things that's relatively easy to uh, to implement. And so every point at which you're able to cut your dependence on the state then becomes a small victory against um, these guys who have been looting for the longest time. One can only stand in awe on the great mess that ESCOM is. Like, you're the only player in town and you still manage to fuck it up completely. You've brought us nothing but rolling blackouts and you ask us to use less of your own product. It's kind of like an Orwellian dystopian reverse capitalism that's going on. And it boggles the mind, Kent, and they can't even stick to their own goddamn <laughs> schedules. It's incredible. And um, yet they still have the goal to say, great, now, if you're no longer using us as a shitty utility that we are, because we can't do our goddamn jobs or provide you with stable electricity, we will now tax you for um, having solar panels, which is incredible, because it's... And they effectively, the thing about Eskom is with their price increases, they, they are effectively pricing themselves out of the market because people are losing less of their product. They're charging more for it. Complete opposite that the free market does. But this is where crony capitalism comes in. Uh, Eskom has been captured for the longest time and it's been a feeding trough for politicians. And that's why it's in the state that it is in right now. I think it's very possible that... Um they will try and make examples of particular people. But my view on this is that if you hit a critical mass with enough people um, actually uh, refusing to subsidize the system, I mean, just think of the township scenario where repeated attempts on the part, on the part of uh, government to actually get people in the townships to pay for electricity have failed, and they're going to continue failing. And and effectively, by and large, you know the those of us who are still paying our bills to ESCOM are subsidizing that process. But 
once we get off grid, who is actually going to pay for the diesel that is going to keep those generators running right now? Will they come after individuals? Absolutely, they will. But can they go after everyone at the same time? What are, what are they going to do if you refuse to pay your tax on your solar panels? Are they going to cut off your electricity? No, they can't do that. Yeah, ideally you want to get away from them as, as soon as possible and not support this charade anymore. And the interesting thing is what I'm seeing, Canton, is in a world that's increasingly decentralizing, government is doubling down. Our government is becoming more authoritarian, more more um, centralized and, and more draconian in their attempts. So with ESCOM now as well, even while people are trying to get rid of them, they are doubling down and like you say, they might go after citizens. But luckily then, if the state's no longer providing your utilities, they can't effective, they cannot do anything. They cannot cut you off from the grid because you are basically off the grid already. Yeah, you see the difficulty that we've got right now is that almost every country in the world is committed to this idea of, of centralized government that ultimately controls the purse strings. Because that is what professional politicians have to rely on, just from the point of view of, of ending up keeping their, their, their jobs. And even someone who is very firmly in favor of, of going the market route, like, like Trump, uh, as an example, will never do anything that is going to undermine the stature of the U.S. dollar on, on the world markets. So it, it it's really the type of, of scenario where it, it has to be steadily chipping away at everything that is provided by the state and trying as far as possible to end up being self-sufficient in terms of those things. And I do think that for many of us, one of the, the ways in which we can end up doing something relatively soon is trying as far as possible to go off the grid in terms of water. Yeah, our benevolent dictators that brought us rolling blackouts uh, with ESCOM yeah. has another gift to give. It's our failing water infrastructure that hasn't been properly maintained in in decades, yes, it is falling apart at the seams, and I highly recommend if you have can catch stormwater, or if you have yes. a space to do a borehole on your property, do that. Even if it's with a solar pump, yes, get off of our um, water infrastructure because that's the next thing to crash. We see saw it with the droughts as well. The the most notorious one being the Cape Town droughts. So yeah, get off there. Yeah, you see, one of one of the lies that keeps coming down the pipeline is, you know, we keep hearing this tale about the fact that we are a water scarce country. If you are drawing a map of South Africa and if you consider the massive tracts of land that uh, uh, are taken up by the Karoo, where you have uh, kind of minimal rainfall, then yes, you can talk of us as being a water scarce country. But if you consider, for, for example, just um, uh, in the case of Johannesburg, I don't think people are actually aware of the sheer volume of rivers that we have in uh, in Johannesburg. But, uh, I mean, for, for example, I live uh, in Baklu, and the, the Yuxke runs uh, right through here. Uh, you know, we've got the, uh, the Bramfontein, um, uh, the crocodile flows uh, down... 
uh, in the vicinity of uh, of Rudaport and all over the place. Every time you hit a traffic jam in Johannesburg and there's a single lane of traffic that you have to contend with, it's because you happen to be passing a um, uh, you have to be uh, you happen to be crossing over a river. Most people actually don't notice this, but all of these rivers that flow through Johannesburg, none of them contribute to our water supply because our water comes from the Valdam. And all of the water that flows through uh, the Yuxke, for example, eventually ends up uh, in the Limpopo. And uh, uh, from the Limpopo, it ends up going out to um, the Indian Ocean. So there is no catchment that is taking place in terms of any of that water as as kind of a starting point. So we actually have a water table that's fairly high in, in most parts of Johannesburg. And the ability of many spaces in Johannesburg to, uh, to go off grid by, you know, sinking boreholes, uh, as, as an example, and then setting up your own purification systems is actually relatively easy to do if you actually make a concerted effort to actually do so. Communities so, pooling resources, almost like crowdfunding on a community level, or what do you suggest, Ganthan? Well, that's exactly the next point that one ends up going to, because you know, if, if you consider, for example, right now, that um, particularly when you have gated communities, which a, a, a lot of us have right now in the... Um, uh, you know, every time you come across uh, uh, a, a complex, for that matter, if you can persuade everyone who owns a property there, guys, instead of actually paying money through to um, the state for water, we're going to sink a borehole here and we're going to set up our own processing plant. And, you know, the body corporate ends up managing this thing and we're going to provide water to all of the houses here. Will you buy into it? And you know, rest assured, people are going to buy into it because, you know, we've already seen that type of crowdfunding happening in terms of security. So that becomes the first thing that you do. The second thing that you do is say, guys, you know, can we invest in a gas generator capacity out here so that we can provide our own electricity? So again, that becomes another piece of the puzzle, which you can do when you have a scenario where you have these small um, communities that actually have shared interests. A recent story about that is what happened in Harry Smith, where the community basically said, screw government, and they went out and they fixed their own aging uh, water infrastructure, because I think also for weeks or months, they did not have water anymore. So they went out, they said, screw protocol, uh, we're going to fix this. That's exactly right. And they Um, went out and fixed it. And what what kills me, Canton, is the fact that we pay these rates and taxes, but we get nothing for it. And if I'm not mistaken, on a, on a local or governmental level, we pay these levies and taxes, it goes to treasury, and we get allocated usually a smaller part back uh, for our annual budgets. And then these councillors, local town councillors are corrupt, and they're just kind of taking that money. They're not reinvesting any of it back into the local community. They're not maintaining infrastructure. So we, we're in a situation where a lot of the infrastructure is breaking now um it's run down it hasn't been maintained for years and this is why we have this constant water outages we've got these constant electrical outages because 
the infrastructure is basically broken and falling apart. And that's what we get for that. Yeah, that's quite right. Because you see, the way in which taxes get allocated uh, right now is based on units of population. So the provinces get um, uh, taxes back from central government based on the number of people who live there. So KZN ends up with a disproportionately high uh, portion of revenue, uh, as does Gauteng just simply based on the, uh, on, uh, on the population um, uh, sizes. But going back to the stuff that we were talking about right now in terms of the ability of us to actually extend a middle finger to municipal authorities particularly, right now it's difficult for us to do that because let's say you don't pay your rates, they can end up cutting off your electricity or your water. On the other hand, if you become self-sufficient in terms of electricity and water, which you can do, and then you refuse to pay your rates. There's not enough uh, middle fingers do? in the universe, Canthan, so I'll flick it all the way. The other problem we have, like with trash removal, um, also sluggish, also very bad, and then the free market finds a way, as always, doesn't it, Canthan? Well, again, 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 if you know, if, if, if I look in terms of, of, of trash and, you know, I'm using myself as uh, as an example uh, out here. Uh, I haven't put out trash for the past two weeks simply because I haven't had enough trash to put mm, out. Sounds interesting, Ganthan. Are you upcycling, recycling, well, composting? Uh, what are you up to, Ganthan? Well, Tell uh, us well, a bit well, more. Well, yes, yes, we are doing composting. So, the, the, you know, a lot of stuff ends up, you know, all of the, all, all of the food waste ends up in compost. But um, uh, also... You know, all of the plastics end up going uh, into the recycle lot. All of the um, uh, plastics go into recycle. Glass ends up going into uh, in, into recycle. Cans end up going into uh, into recycle. And you know, for that sort of thing, we have these guys who actually walk around uh, Johannesburg, and they're very happy to pick up your recycling, and they get paid for it. And then you know, remember at the time when Pick It Up was on strike. There were these enterprising guys who drove around and they said, hey, we'll, we'll take away your trash, uh, you know, uh, 50 bucks a shot or something like that. And, you know, people were very happy to pay that. Ganthan, are you insinuating that evil capitalism and the free market always finds a way? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And, you know, case in point was the way in which people manage the, um, the cigarette flow. Oh, for the audience members that don't know, Uduko banned uh, exactly. cigarettes oh, in South oh. Africa. Effectively, you know, what, what I've been trying to say is that your ability to cut ties with government is going to be dependent on your being able to say, come and do your worst. But you can only say, come and do your worst if there's not stuff that you're actually dependent on. So you need to, first of all, not be dependent on electricity. And, you know, so alternatives there end up being, um, you know, solar is definitely the go-to uh, uh, thing. And if you're, um, uh, if, uh, and as a backup, you need to work at looking at getting gas generation in because that definitely is the most efficient from a, um, a cost per kilowatt hour point of view on the, uh, the assumption that you're running it at home. The second thing that you then need to do is you need to go off grid in terms of water because that's the other way that they can cut you off. And once you've basically got both of those under control, um, you know, remember, again, in terms of, uh, uh, of, uh, of sewerage, 
it's relatively easy for you to put in a septic tank on even a reasonably small property. Yeah, speaking of properties, with our erosion of property rights in this country um, coming full circle, and then I don't know if you own one or maybe multiple properties, have you seen how much the rates and taxes have gone up in the last five years? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's quite yes. incredible. So so if you are renting out that property, you are getting far less than you would have because now all of a sudden these utility costs just went they skyrocketed, and now you're making less uh, per month, and you're in a contract with someone actually renting your property, and you can't make the adjustments on the fly, so people lose money. Then what I might maybe do is just considering the situation. Go to someone that has a plot or a farm, put down three containers, um, get a borehole or stormwater or water nearby from a river, and, and you're golden. Get some solar panels on there. You've got the three or four containers that's self-powered. You're self-sufficient. You've got all the utilities that you will need. You can grow your own food, and um, you're basically off the grid. Connectivity might be the only challenge, but if you're clo close to, uh, uh, well a city or, or a small town you can maybe bounce off that LTE or get fixed wireless uh, there are many options Scanthan and that's kind of what I'm seeing well, as an ideal see, scenario. But the problem in terms of buying a property of course is this whole idea of expropriation without compensation you know so yes so 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 we, we 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 come back to the starting point of this conversation which you know the the the, the ultimate right has to be property rights and it, and it, and if property rights are under threat everything else kind of flows from there so you know as far as possible one needs to end up minimizing um tax that gets paid uh if you can hire people and if you can pay them in cash Again, that becomes something that is completely out of the scope of government. Now, you consider, for example, that every rand that I currently spend, I've, uh, it, it's, it's money that has already been taxed. So I've already paid money to government. But if I then provide that money to someone else for providing a service to me, and the government ends up taxing that person again on the money that I'm passing on uh, uh, to them, I have an issue with that because you've already done the extraction in terms of that, uh, uh, that money from me. So uh, I'm very happy to, to pay that money across in cash, if I possibly can, to avoid that money then being siphoned back to, uh, to government. So, you know, again, as far as possible, if you can do that, then do that. But of course, you know, most of us are so addicted to the whole idea of just being able to tap and go, which, um, yeah, you know, uh, but uh, you know, ideally, we need to be in the scenario where you're able to tap your smartphone, and there's a cryptocurrency transfer that takes place from from your phone to the other person's phone, and and everything's good thereafter. Canton, I'm not usually a fan of utopias, but a capitalist, crypto-driven utopia sounds good to me, where free trade is the order of the day and the government doesn't get its sticky, filthy, communist paws on our hard-earned cash and money. And on that note, Canton, thank you so much for this. This has been a great two-part show um, on becoming resilient. Resiliency starts with the mindset and then uh, you plan for the eventuality for shit to hit the fan. 
and uh, getting there takes some planning and then eventually it manifests in, 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 in you effectively crowdfunding um, lots of initiatives in your community and then getting off state infrastructure and effectively building your own much more effective systems and um, yeah in effect you also <laughs> defund you also defund uh, the local municipalities and the ANC and I think that's key to this initiative um, is effectively defunding them and not supporting a overtly corrupt government that seems to uh, take and chip away at our liberties every every day and every time they get something well and yeah so that that sounds like a perfect point at which to leave this conversation thanks Canton you have a lovely uh, week and we will definitely hopefully speak again soon cheers Canton all right well thanks this was fun cheers <laughs>